There was a lady who was in a concentration camp during World War II who wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Mm. Yes. I, younger folks have, may not have heard of that, that book. It was really, really a, a fantastic book. Well, she described one incident I remember. I haven't read it in a long time, but we, she, um, they, there were a lot of lice, as you can imagine, among other, other things. Mm -hmm. And the lice turned out to be to their advantage because they were able, she was able to have a Bible study with her sister and some other inmates in this camp because the guards didn't want to go in there because they didn't like the lice. So the book is, is full of stories like that, incidents, that just show the, the power of God in this the testimony of this amazing woman and her sister. Well, she lost both her sister and her father, her old father, died. But they had had a house, if uh, you folks don't know, the younger folks may not. Have you guys ever heard of the, the hiding place you have? Okay, all right. <laughs> and the movie, yes. Well, okay, so you know the ending. Still good. Um, but uh, they were hide people in their house. And the police would come. Were they that was was that the house where they had a, a trap door under the table and they're saying, Where did where'd you hide the Jews? And they said, Under the table, and they laughed. Uh, but it was really true because there was a trap door. Is that the one or that was that somewhere else? I think there's one that's upstairs in the wall. Okay, all right, all right. Um, so uh, but the end of the story is somewhat of a different story. So um, I'll leave that to the end. It's about the house, all right? And this is going to go, as you can see here, the word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moreshet in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Almost the same passage we see in Isaiah chapter 1, all right? Uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. That's uh, the time of Isaiah's preaching in Jerusalem. This uh, Micah is preaching to everybody. So they're uh, both the north and the south and the whole world. So, so now we're getting uh, these two guys are contemporary prophets. Uh, and it's around 750 to uh, late 600s BC. Uh, that's, that's their time span. And 750 is probably before 722. That's when the northern kingdom goes into captivity by the Assyrians. Right, I think it's Shalmaneser the third comes, gets rid of them. They're gone. Samaria is made of a pile, of, a heap of stones. Um, but then Judah comes later on, and specifically Jerusalem. So it's going to go from heaven, here, O peoples, listen, uh, uh, for behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place, the Lord from his holy temple. So it's going to go from Jerusalem, that is, he is going to go, from Jerusalem, I mean, from his holy temple, right to Jerusalem. That's the end game. Okay, God is coming out of his holy temple. He's coming out. Uh, already we see, 
he addresses the earth and its fullness. Things are going well. They're prosperous, especially, especially in the north. There's all sorts of, um, uh, there's foliage up there. There's grazing. There's an economy. They're not far from, from uh, um, a tire up there, that great trade center, the Mediterranean. You have Ahab and Jezebel, the rich. Things are going well, but they're going well without God. And God doesn't like it. So he's going to come down. So it says, here are the words. Um, the Lord from his holy temple, be, be, uh, for behold, the Lord is coming forth, going out from his place. He's going out. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. It says, behold, that's a big word. He's saying, look, whenever you see behold, that means stop and look at this. It's a, it's a major stop in the text. He's coming out of his holy temple. He's coming down. And he's going to do battle with the high places of the earth. That's, I think that may catch the whole thing, what's going on. You might wonder, does God ever leave his temple? Does he ever leave his temple? How could he? So he goes out from his temple. Does that mean there's no one in the temple? I don't think so. He remains in the temple, and yet he proceeds out of the temple, and then he goes after the high places. See what's going on here? Maybe I'm, I'm looking at seeing too much in this. But God is both always where he is. He's always in his temple. But he proceeds out of the temple. I think that might, looking back at it from this age, you might say, Boy, doesn't that sound like Jesus a little bit? And then he's going to trample on the high places. He's going to get rid of the high places. Now, where is he coming from? The Jews at that time, I would think, would consider him to be in the temple. That's where he is. Period. How does he come? Once in a while, he may burst out there. We're Israel. We're okay. He's going to protect us. We need him. He's a good trained dog. He'll come out when we need him. That'll be it. But here he's saying, no, no. He's coming down from heaven. He's bigger than that. He's coming to you. He's not happy. Okay? So, I think this is huge. Shouldn't that be what we're about? We spend our time in the temple, right? We spend our time before God. We worship Him. We pray to Him. Fellowship with Him. Then we go out, right? Then we go and beat up on the high places. Isn't that what we ought to be doing? I think that's the name of the game. That's what He's doing. That's what Christ did. Comes from the side of the Father. Uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, He beats up on all pride, uh, and human greatness, even if it's in Jerusalem. And that's where it ends. It's going to end up in Jerusalem. Okay. You know, this God, not like the other gods, not like the Canaanite gods, addresses personal problems appropriately. He comes at just the right time. He doesn't avoid personal problems. You know, I don't know about you. I'd rather avoid a lot of personal problems. They're sticky, you know. They're not easy. They're not simple. 
That's not what he does. Well, Jesus, if you look at him, he has the Pharisees, he has these his enemies that they want to kill him, telling him around all the time, yet he addresses them. He says just what they need to hear. So I think that's, that's a, a little bit of a lesson for us. And he even addresses them, I think, with hope for them. There's always hope. Even when he condemns them, which this is maybe debatable, he says, uh, I, I think there's always the implied understanding. If you turn, you're going to be okay. You turn to me. Well, are they going to turn? Uh, doubt that very much. Okay. Uh, it even has his going out as a sign. To me, it's a sign of his humbling himself, just like we read in Philippians 2. He humbles himself. That becomes in the likeness of man. Right. So, um, so the first place he, he comes to is the high places, right? God doesn't like high stuff. He doesn't like big stuff. So he's going to come right to these places of worship. Okay. Um, Can you do me a favor and get me a piece of uh, that bottle of water there? Everything's going to come apart if I move away. Thank you. So he goes to the high places. If you remember, the high places are those places that no kings that I know of, the best of the kings, couldn't get a handle on. The high places. So-and-so, Hezekiah reigned such and such, but he didn't remove the high places. They were the hardest things to get rid of. They never really were gotten rid of. Because really, the high places can only be gotten rid of by God himself. Like it says in, in Romans 8, um, where it says, uh, uh, what the law could not do, God did, having sent his only beloved son in the likeness of sinful flesh. We just can't seem to handle this. Humility escapes us, doesn't it? It shows how deeply rooted Pride is in our lives, this high thinking, this high-mindedness, this being similar to God, this being above God, making ourselves divine. I mean, look how uh, I see a, a guy, uh, these guys, seminary professors, some of these guys are just amazing. You hear them preach or teach, everyone's asking them questions, uh, calling them world-renowned authors. How do they not get big heads? And, and it's just, it's very difficult, you know. I, I think we have to, try, you know, just, to, um, yeah, humility is just a, a, a really difficult thing. And yet Christ was the picture of humility, wasn't it? That, that's what he was all about. Humbles, humbles himself. He comes like a man, goes to the cross. All right, so what else goes, goes on here? That I think is very big. It says, the mountains, he comes down to tread on the high places of the earth. He's going to accomplish that. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax 
before the fire. Well, he's going to melt mountains. All right. Um, so I think that uh, melting, whatever else you're going, to, you're going to say about it, it is the fact that the infrastructure, the very structure of creation itself is going to be changed, which is what God does. Because the Christian life, I think, is a life of drastic, radical change, and particularly in this context, in pride, right? We're going to find out who really is God as God changes us. And he wants the change to be radical. Jesus is always radical. That's why he always says stuff that's over the top, even from the beginning with Abraham. He says, go out from your your uh, your parents, your your house, your possessions. Well, he did take his possessions. Uh, from your house, your relatives, your family, to land which I'm going to show you. This is going to be radical. Jesus wants radical change. Jesus wants a change that goes to the, the very basis, the basic elements of our being. And he's, he's working on that. We're not changed like that now. Certainly I'm not. But that's what he wants. That's the goal. This drastic change in pride. How does this happen? It can only happen by the Spirit. Right? Now he says, verse 5, all this, why is all this happening? Why is God coming out of his temple, out of his holy temple? Whatever that means, wherever that is, you have to think it's invisible, right? God is coming out of his holy temple. Why is that? It says, verse 5, all this for the rebellion of Jacob. All this happens. Creation itself is rocked because of the rebellion of the people of God. Get that for the sin of God's people. Mess the sin of God's people messes so many things up. We have uh, I just look at my own life. I look back and say, "Wow, I wish I could do that over again." Many things. Um, so, uh, so it attributes all this disaster that he's talking about, the melting mountains and all of that, to a failed worship of the people of God. People of God are failing or have failed. In worship. What's the failure in the worship? I think it has to do with those three elements. Dwelling in the presence of God. Going out from the presence of God. The Son, right? And, and beating up on the, uh, on the high places. How do we do that? We do that with the gospel nowadays. It's, it's taking over the land is what it's doing. Taking possession of God's earth. Redeeming this world again. Alright, so it's by the sin of, of his people. Okay. Um, then he says, how he, he gets this more specific. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? That's where it's going to end up. That He wants to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go through all these villages and towns. They're going to be affected too. But ultimately, he's after Jerusalem because Jerusalem's empty. And God doesn't like uh, empty because all sorts of trouble happens when, when things are empty. Right? Uh, he picks on the cities. Cities are where you find uh, the big heads. Am I right? Don't you get the big heads in the city? 
They're good, let's face it. Don't you have the best football teams there? That's the only place you have those top-of-the-line football teams. You have the best surgeons there? Well, we're down in Ocean City, New Jersey. When we have a real problem, where do you think we go? We come to Philadelphia, right? We don't go to Shore Medical Center down there and uh, if there's anything serious. In fact, an NBA player, Chris Ford, um, he was, his mother and sister lived right next to me, actually, Chris Ford, coach of the Boston Celtics, died a few weeks ago. We had a heart attack. Well, they didn't take him to the local hospital. They put him in the car, and he was going up to the city. He died on the way. So that's how, that's how you know, that's, that's how it is. Um, but uh, cities are, uh, um, <clears throat> cities are where it's at. The great things that happen, the great culture that's in the cities. Are the cities centers of worship? ask you that. Are they worship centers? Are they retreat centers? I don't think so. These are secular entities. They have all the best, and all the best always, almost always, tends to raise itself up against the one mountain of God spoken about in Isaiah 2, right? The cities are the problem, and particularly uh, Samaria and Jerusalem. They're infecting the whole country. That, unfortunately, is what happens. You know, I Philly's an interesting city, all kinds, not to mention New York. But look at it. Now people are, I'm just talking about, these guys are talking about not being able to, to go there without being threatened. And my friends tell me, don't go into Philly. Yeah, please don't go. <laughs> well, what am I going to do? I mean, that's where all the people are, right? On the other hand, from the city, this is what God, how God transforms stuff, can transform stuff. It's from Jerusalem that the gospel goes out and changes the world, is it not? Amen. So that's where uh, cities in the right hands can be a great thing. But now they're just centers of pride. Can you think of any cities, uh, cities that are, uh, uh, was Philly um, a, a, an outpost for the Southern Baptist Convention? Right? I don't think so. Right? It's secular. It's concrete. You, you take your life in your hands sometimes. All right. So enough about the cities. But that's where the stench comes from, he's saying. That's where, uh, what he says. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high pace of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? He's saying these cities are evil itself. They're sin itself. That's what he's saying. They're the personification of sin of evil, of corruption. That's where it comes from. All from these great thinkers, atheists, guys like this, right? They're, that's where the universities usually are, or used to be, right? All the, the great thought usually turns out against God. All right, so. So he says, I'm coming down like fire. Uh... For I'll make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting a place for a vineyard. I'll pour stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. So, fire, correction is good. You know, uh, here we're talking about 
Micah, which is one of the prophets. These are sort of dreary books sometimes, aren't they? They're, they're kind of hard to deal with, aren't they? Start reading through Jeremiah sometimes. Or even this, or Hosea. But you can't just ignore these, can we? Can we really just skip the prophets? I doubt it. Uh, look at all the other great stuff. So in Micah, you have both this judgment of God that's coming, and on the other hand, this great redemption. Then you have Micah chapter 4, with all the nations pouring into Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord. You have Micah 5, 2, uh, Bethlehem of Judah, going forth from, the, uh, from forever, from eternity. All that stuff. You have all this good stuff in the prophets, too. You always have both things going on. So, um, so correction is good. The fire is good. And here's what I'm going to say. Why is it? Why? Because it says it lays bare the foundations. Right? It makes the foundations of life naked. It makes the foundations of everything what they, what they really are. Shouldn't life be a process of laying bare our foundations? Isn't that what, what life ought to be? A continual process of finding out what we're really like. That cuts down the high places in our own lives. Doesn't it? This intense, uh, incipient um, pride that we have needs to be cut down. How is that cut down? Well, we need this humility training, for one thing, of the word. That's why kings in Israel were said, you better keep a a copy of the Torah right next to you so you you can look at it all. Is that Deuteronomy 18, I think it is? One of those, either 16, 17, or 18, about the king, the requirements of the king. No, um, uh, don't build a military, uh, and the king keeps a copy of the law right next to him, so he can always, he won't exalt himself uh, among his brother, right? So, uh, so fire is good. We really should be happy about, about fire, about, this is to us, this is to us, right? This is not to these, these nasty Israelites in Judah. We have the same problem they, they had. Not just writing for us to, to poke, poke fun at, uh, at those guys. All right. So now we get down to the prophet. All right. Okay. Because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, even to to Jerusalem. Now we're talking about the prophet. So the prophet comes on the scene. That's, That's Micah. And this is before the time. Things are rosy. Things are, are looking good. The economy's booming, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and here's Micah. Before anything happens, while it's still nice, he's got to proclaim this message and say it's going to get bad. He's got to be ridiculed for it. He even says he's got to be naked. He's got to expose himself. Isn't that what po- prophets do? Prophets expose themselves. Because they're about the truth. 
they're laying naked. They're, they're laying uh, bare uh, the foundations. They're getting at the bottom line. And they're they, they make you uncomfortable. They're like these hyenas. That, that word could be hyena, the, a howling jackal, something like that, in the background. They make you uncomfortable. It's, it's an eerie sound. There was a guy who was preaching at Penn. Um, well, actually, it was me. I was, uh, you know, you guys are street preachers, right? So I'm not, I'm not boasting about this. <laughs> so sermon on pride. And, uh, but that's where I was at, at Penn. And I was talking about Isaiah 53, maybe something like that. The guy comes over to me uh, from, I don't know, 50 yards away. Uh, older guy, looked like maybe he's a professor. And he says, says to me, why do you have to ruin such a, it's a beautiful day out? Why do you have to ruin such a beautiful day? Thinking, wow, how does that ruin your day? How, this is not even an offensive passage of Scripture. Uh, but there's something bothersome about the Word of God. That's the problem people cause with the prophets. That's why uh, these prophets are, are so necessary. So he's, he's going to weep. He's even going to go naked. Isn't that what Jesus did? Prophets have this, these guys, not, you know, um, prophets have this, um, this similarity to Christ always, don't they? So what's the opposite of, of the high places? You would think humility, right? What's the opposite of pride? Uh, humility. Yeah, that's true. But in another, another sense, the opposite the high place is the prophet. The prophet sets right the high place. This is what this prophet is doing, this Micah. And he might have to go naked. Maybe he's speaking literally here. They had to do all these kinds of signs to be humiliated like Christ. There's a Christ-likeness to, to Micah. Is there not? Okay. Uh, all right. Now, we have next. Okay, here's the hope. There's always hope. And we have this here. Uh, for a wound is incurable. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. Uh, tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. Right? Don't, don't boast, you guys, were in Gath. Who was from Gath? Do you remember? Goliath, Goliath right? Don't start uh, trash talking in Gath, right? Don't do that. Uh, the way they did uh, when Saul fell, right? And they cut his head off and they nailed it to a wall and then the uh, uh, Somebody comes and gets it, takes it to Jerem, I think it was, uh, because Saul was gone. But who replaces Saul? David, right? You don't want David. Wow, I think they would much rather would have had Saul. So now David goes down. So what the, must they be thinking? Oh, now we're really okay, right? Just don't, don't brag about that. Don't boast about the 
the temporary victory over your enemy. All right? Uh, because what happens after, after David goes down? Well, eventually David's son arises. That's Jesus. He's really going to straighten things out. So if you were the enemy of David, now maybe you'll be the enemy of, of Jesus himself, of the Messiah. On the other hand, he says, all right, the moral of that story is, don't get all too pumped up over, over a, a temporary victory. Because tomorrow you're going to have to put your helmet on again. On the other hand, he says, don't weep. This is my interpretation, right? Don't weep. Because, however bad it is, it's going to be a good end. Because the descendant of, of uh, David is going to be the Messiah himself. So, uh, don't weep either. Because better times are coming. Keep that in mind. All right? Um, I was in Israel. I actually got to go to Israel. Okay, we're almost done. Can't do that. Yes. Okay. Um, so, getting back to uh, Corey Ten Boom. Okay. So, what happens at the end of with Corey Ten Boom? She goes back, and I don't know if you remember this part. She sees that the house is empty. There's an empty house. Right? So there was, and it used to be fun. She recalls the time when it was, you know, they were hiding Jews. It was exciting. It was a real mission. And it was working. They were hiding the Jews. Yeah, they went to the concentration camp. Even there, it was exciting in some sense. She comes back home, and the house is empty. No more father. No more sister. It's empty. That's the way Jerusalem is, right? Because I'm going to say again that they don't go out uh, from the throne this, with at the command of this God who's in the throne room, right? They don't leave to go out and trample on the high places. And so you have Jerusalem and it's empty. Yeah, that's the same thing we have to watch out for. How do we... Work against that. Ah, man, we have to pray for the Spirit uh, to fill us, for God to fill us with His Spirit. It's like Mark was praying. Uh, it's about the Spirit. Right? If we are filled with the Spirit, how are we filled with the Spirit? Presence of God, proceeding from the presence of God, and going out and fighting the war in the power of the Spirit. Uh, that's the only way that's that's going to happen. Then he can break down the high places in our lives. Okay. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the book of Michael, Lord. We pray that we would uh, be able to apply this in our lives. Um, you would bless the rest of our day and our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.